On the Choose to Think podcast, I will encourage and empower you to engage and optimize your best thought life in practical, meaningful ways so that you can live day by day in joy, peace, and God's purpose despite all externals. This is Victoria, and welcome back to the Choose to Think podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Choose to Think Inspirational Podcast. This is Victoria, and I'm so glad that you're here. Listen, if this is your first time, thank you so much for pressing play on that button and joining us here today. You're going to be in for a treat because we're going to dip into Psalm 69. Every other week, I take a look at one of the Psalms. Why you, you say, why are you going to the Psalms, Victoria? It's because they're so emotionally expressive. When I feel really kind of like ick or out of sorts, or maybe I just don't know how to connect with God and I, I need something that's really relatable, I go to the Psalms. I've heard a lot of my friends have said that too. They're like, oh, I love the Psalms because they always meet me where I am. And the, the touch points there in the Psalms are perfect. They're, they grab my attention. So I hope that you're going to be encouraged. You're going to learn a little something about the Psalm. It's, it's actually a messianic Psalm. And when you hear that word messianic, think Messiah. And David is a type of Christ. He writes in ways that are prophetically referenced later. Matter of fact, this particular psalm makes a great defense of your faith because we find some prophecies actually fulfilled much, much later that David wrote about in his own lifetime when he penned this psalm. You know, David was around about well centuries before Christ walked the earth. It was about a thousand BC when he was alive. And some people actually say that the psalm was written by David to reflect his trial and hardship as he was persecuted by King Saul. That happens a lot. So you can kind of start thinking, okay, what would I write about if I were being persecuted? What would you write about if you were being persecuted? Others think it, it refers to the time of the rebellion of his son, of David's son, Absalom. So think if your son were trying to rebel against you in some way. Now, obviously this was a political thing because at that point, David was king of the, of the nation. At that point, we have kind of differences and hardships within our family sometimes. And especially when, if your child does something and is standing against you or throws his hand or her hand up against you, that's tough. So maybe David was writing as a result of that and what was going on. But did you know that Psalm 20, that this Psalm 69 after Psalm 22 is the most often quoted Psalm in the New Testament? Matter of fact, it it consists of complaints and intense and passionate prayers for help and deliverance, deprecation of David's enemies. And ultimately it's a call to praise God for coming to the rescue and for saving Zion. But you're going to find the connection between the old Testament and the new. It's absolutely fascinating. It's actually quoted at least seven times in the new Testament. And you know what? This makes a great defense for your faith because as far as we know, David who flourished, like I said, about a thousand years before Christ, he didn't have knowledge of Jesus really yet. He wrote about him in the Psalms and somehow maybe God, you know, put that on his heart and, and heightened his awareness in some way that something was going to happen like this. And speaking of apologetics or defending your faith, did you catch last week's episode with Kasim Hafiz? 
I know his name is unusual, Kasim Hafiz, but oh my goodness, he offers you a lot of tips and tricks to share your testimony, especially with those of the Muslim faith. He radically converted from the Islamic religion, and he shares a lot about what he's doing these days. It was just a wonderful episode, so please check that out. But why would this psalm be a possible defense of your faith? Precisely because it connects the Old Testament and the New prophetically. And it's like the Old Testament was was saying these things, and then by golly, they came true thousands of years later. So it's really amazing that this has happened. And I want to walk through those seven times very quickly so that you can kind of get a an idea, you know, the, the how this psalm is really seasoned. It's going to grab you right at the very beginning when we start reading it, because it, it's going to pull you in because David needs help. And that's what he's saying is saying, oh, God, save me, right? He needs help. So there's desperation in his voice. But I want to link the two of these just to continue to give you a little sprinkling of how amazingly they are connected. For example, number one, Psalm 69, four says, those who hate me without reason outnumber the air, the hairs of my head. And many of many are my enemies without cause. Those who seek to destroy me parallel verse in the new Testament is, is spoken by Jesus in John 15, two, where he says, but this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. He was talking about the Jewish law, right? How the Jews, many of the Jews, the the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the the uh, leaders at that time when Jesus walked the earth, how they hated him without reason. And so David wrote about that in Psalm 69. And then years later here, Jesus is saying, hey, what's going on to me right now is, is happening to fulfill what was written in the law. They hated me without reason. Second instance, Psalm 69, 9, the first part of that verse says, for, uh, for zeal for your house consumes me. That was David writing, right? But it's linked to John 2.17. When Jesus drives the buyers and the sellers from the temple, I'm, I'm quoting the verse now. It says, his disciples remembered that it's that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. In other words, at that time, Jesus was zealous for God's temple, for his house. Do you remember that passage? And he walked in and he, it was his display of righteous anger where he, he was so zealous for God's house that he couldn't stand what was happening there. But yet David wrote a thousand years earlier, zeal for your house consumes me. Do you see the echo? Do you see the the connection there between David's writing and then later what what Jesus himself um, says. Instance number three, the, the last part of that same verse, 69.9, says, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. That was David writing. Now, remember the, the context could have been Absalom's rebellion. It could have been during the time he was fleeing from King Saul, the king and, and so he was persecuted at that time. Romans 15, 3, pulling it back to the New Testament, echoes this and says that as the, the author of Romans, Paul was writing and saying, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. So yes, some of that is Paul and his studies, and he knew the Old Testament, but think about 
the application of that. So often as we study the Bible, we read its amazing words. It is living and active. In other words, it enters so deeply and penetrates into our very soul, like the marrow of our bones. If you want to look at it that way, it's the deepest integral part of who we are. It it penetrates that deeply like a knife because it's razor sharp. It gets right to the, to the matters. But sometimes do you ever read it and you're like, it kind of falls flat and you're like, mm, okay, that sounds nice, but doesn't apply to me. Or how does this work in my life? And so that's a little bit of what's happening here as Paul is saying, Hey, let me tell you, Christ didn't even, did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. He is now taking that passage from Psalm 69 and and making a personal application of it. Fourth instance, do you remember when the Roman soldiers mocked Jesus before his crucifixion and before Pilate? Well, it says this in Matthew 27, 27 through 30. It says this quote, then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt down before him to mock him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spit on him and took the staff and struck him on, on the head repeatedly. End quote. So centuries before this event, David penned something that it was like a prediction in Psalm 69, 12, and because he's talking there about the soldiers or maybe the political figures or various Jewish elders who were also mocking him and ridiculing him. And he even wrote so many years before, he said, those who sit at the gate mock me. So do you see how David is likened to Christ, the Christ to come? He's writing and, and so much as he describes himself actually is a prophetic description of Jesus Christ who would walk this, the face of this earth, the living son of God. It connected what David was saying and feeling and going through with something so many years later in, a, in a, just a remarkable way. Number five, and this is uh, Psalm 69, 21 says, they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. You already know where that's going, don't you? Now, this one is reflected in all three synoptic gospels. The synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're called synoptic because they were all written from basically the same perspective and with the same purpose in mind to describe the life and the ministry of Jesus. These gospels were comprised within a generation of the time that Jesus actually walked the earth. The gospel of John, on the other hand, was written just a little bit later and scholars say, you know what? John's gospel is more theological in nature. It's more evangelistic in its approach and purpose. But John also references this same passage in chapter 19, 28 and 29. He says this, later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled. Do you see how they're connecting it to the Old Testament scripture? Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there. So they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus's lips. So David said, they put gall in my food and gave me vinegar 
for my thirst. And that's exactly what happened later to Jesus Christ. Instance number six, Psalm 69, 22 and 23 says this, may the table set before them become a snare. May it become retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. This verse goes with Romans chapter 11. Paul is writing about the remnant of the Jews chosen by grace. He speaks about how Israel rejected God repeatedly to parallel how the Jews rejected Christ. Paul says, you know, he's writing about the Jews also who have been chosen by grace, but he's like, you know what? They also continue to reject God. All right, just like the Jews in his time were continuing to reject Christ. And this is what he writes in Romans 11, verses 6 through 10. It says this, and if it is by grace, then it is no longer by works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? What Israel was seeking, it failed to obtain, but the elect did. The others were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see and ears that could not hear to this very day. And David says, and here Paul is quoting, may their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution to them. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. So he himself is making application of what David said would happen is actually happening in so many years later. And there's one more instance. Let's take a look at number seven. We have an imprecation in Psalm 69, 25, where it says, may their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents. Notice the plural, but in Acts 1.20, it seems to have been fulfilled in the case of Judas Iscariot. So David in Psalm 69 is talking still about his enemies, and we could say, okay, Judas Iscariot was an enemy to Christ. Remember, he was the disciple who actually betrayed Jesus for a little bit of money. And so he refers, Paul says in Acts 1.20, he says, Uh, For said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may this place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it, and may another take his place of leadership. Okay, so there you go. Let's listen to this beautiful psalm. Pay attention to the echoes of our Savior and what he did so that you might live your life to the fullest. He equips you to do your life with him and for him every single day. He will bring you through the darkest of days. You are never alone. And I'll meet you on the other side with one action item you can take today to see the light just in case you're in darkness. Also, stay tuned because I have a special announcement. You are invited to a book signing on Saturday, September 17th and 18th at Fayette Mall in Lexington, Kentucky. Bring your choose to think, find peace, joy, hope, health, and freedom everyday devotional for me to autograph or buy a newly revised one there. I'll have gift bags and a special giveaway for a free book and t-shirt. Snag a couple of books to give to your friends. Choose to Think Ministries is among several vendors at the mall for this Girls' Day Out event. Bring a friend, plan to catch up over a cup of coffee, and stop by my booth. I'd love to see you there. Psalm 69, the NIV version. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. 
I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for my God. Those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs of my head. Many are my enemies without cause, those who seek to destroy me. I am forced to restore what I did not steal. You, God, know my folly. My guilt is not hidden from you. Lord, the Lord Almighty, may those who hope in you not be disgraced because of me. God of Israel, may those who seek you not be put to shame because of me. For I endure scorn for your sake, and shame covers my face. I am a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children. For zeal for your house consumes me, and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. When I weep and fast, I must endure scorn. When I put on sackcloth, people make sport of me. Those who sit at the gate mock me, and I am the song of the drunkards. But I pray to you, Lord, in the time of your favor, in your great love, O God, answer me with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the mire. Do not let me sink. Deliver me from those who hate me, from the deep waters. Do not let the flood waters engulf me, or the depths swallow me up, or the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, Lord, out of the goodness of your love. In your great mercy, turn to me. Do not hide your face from your servant. Answer me quickly, for I am in trouble. Come near and rescue me. Deliver me because of my foes. You know how I am scorned, disgraced, and shamed. All my enemies are before you. Scorn has broken my heart and has left me helpless. I looked for sympathy, but there was none. For comforters, but I found none. They put gall in my food and gave me vinegar for my thirst. May the table set before them become a snare. May it become a retribution and a trap. May their eyes be darkened so they cannot see and their backs be bent forever. Pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. May their place be deserted. Let there be no one to dwell in their tents. For they persecute those who you wound and talk about the pain of those you hurt. Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. May they be blotted out of the book of life and not be listed with the righteous. But as for me, afflicted and in pain, may your salvation, God, protect me. I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox, more than a bull with its horns and hooves. The poor will see and be glad. You who seek God, may your hearts live. The Lord hears the needy and does not despise his captive people. Let heaven and earth praise him, the seas and all that move in them. For God will save Zion and rebuild the cities of Judah. Then people will settle there and possess it. The children of his servants will inherit it. And those who love his name will dwell there. And this is the word of the Lord. Is your heart breaking? Is your heart aching? Do you have a downcast spirit? Well, let me 
so gently suggest to you one action item that you can do based on this psalm and what we've learned. And I don't know what your favorite verse was, but mine was verse 30, where it says, I will praise God's name in song and glorify him with thanksgiving. That is what you and I can do. That's what you can do when you're facing a mountain in your life. That's what you can do when you awaken each morning with aches and pains in your body. That's what you can do when you get up and first thing you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed with all the things that I have to do today. This is what you can do. You can praise God's name and you can glorify him with your thanksgiving. You can give thanks to him when you think you just can't go on anymore. We've all been there. Now, if you want something a a little more quote tangible to do, grab a sheet of paper, get out your journal, write your own personal prayer to God, listing a few of his names so that you can pay attention to those names. You are actually shifting your focus off yourself, off your difficult and trying scenario and situation in life, and you are squaring your eyes on God instead. You're training your brain one thought at a time to go from self-focus to God-focus. If you're limiting yourself, you know, you're actually limiting God. So you're taking your eyes off yourself and focusing on God, his attributes, his personality traits, his characteristics, and there you will find comfort. There you will find truth and there you will find strength one thought at a time. What are God's attributes? Well, let me give you just a few to get you going. God is provider in times of plenty or in times of want. He is your healer spiritually and physically. He is your way maker if you feel overwhelmed or confused. He is the light in your darkness. He is the truth when you have to make some really important decisions. He'll guide you. He is your shepherd when you need extra touch of guidance, when you need to get back on the right path. He is your advocate when you need righteousness. He's your miracle worker when you need a miracle. He's your strength when you are bone weary and exhausted. So adore him for these things. Tell him how much you appreciate what he says about you, about your troubling situation or trial, and what he says about himself. Do you see how everything is framed through God's eyes, his perspective, the truth of his word? It's not just, well, I think this, or well, gee, I'm a loser, or gee, where is God now? It's none of those thoughts. We're not giving them much time or attention. Instead, we're just reflecting back. We are rehearsing what God says about himself. What are his names? What are those powerful names? Who he is and and how he's proven himself time and time again. That's what we're going to focus on instead. And then you might even look up a few Bible verses that underscore his names and encourage your heart. Okay, so that's kind of like part A of the action item is just focusing on God. All right. Essentially, it's focusing on God, his names, his characteristics, his attributes. And then second to that, you're going to thank him for everything. And I do mean everything. And you're thinking, hold on here. Sitting in the doctor's office right now, about to get some very startling or frightening news and a very difficult diagnosis and prognosis. What on earth? You're saying, thank God for everything. And I'm going to say as gently as I can, Yes, even in the scenario that you find yourself, even when you're facing that mountain, 
You serve a God who is bigger than the mountain. You serve a God who is enough. He's enough for you and he's enough for your loved ones. And I know sometimes that's hard to swallow, but it's true. He will bring you through the flood and the flame. This we know. So what in your scenario can you find to praise him about and to thank him for? Let me give you an example that's very lighthearted because God doesn't waste any of our life scenarios He's teaching us constantly. He wants you to grow. He wants you to mature. He wants you to develop in your faith so that you can become more like him. Why? So that you can better serve others. Why? Because that's why you're here. You're here to serve. You're here to step out in the calling that God has on your life. All the gifts and talents that he's given to you that a world in need needs to see. You're here to bear witness by your testimony to the goodness of what Christ has done. All of these things represent your purpose here. And you can do that in whether you're sitting in a doctor's office or whether you're on the pickleball court. Either way, you are bearing testimony and witness to the goodness of God. Think about Corrie Ten Boom, and, and she was in the Nazi concentration camps. And, you know, of all things, they got head lice, right? Of all things, they're starving to death. They're in these horrible quarters. They're they're slaves. They're being, they're prisoners. They're being terribly treated. They know what their future is, yet they found ways to praise God in this kind of adverse, soul-wrenching scenario. You can do that too. Now, did they do that just for fun or, oh, let's do this? No, they did it because it was the unction of their soul and their heart. They knew that God would meet them there. They knew that somehow God would be glorified even in this trying situation. And that's the challenge I have for you. Can you give thanks now? Can you thank God for everything? And remember, he's going to bring you through and he's going to teach you something. There are lessons to be learned. And I want to raise my hand for lessons because I do want to become more like Christ. I do want to draw people to him by my example. And I know that you do too. Rascally pickleball court. I get so impatient and I have so much to learn about attitude and I hate to lose. But God's teaching me to turn my eyes toward him and to give thanks for so many things that I might be overlooking on the court, like the fact that I have an able body to play pickleball in the first place. The sport keeps me connected socially. It's a good form of exercise and movement. Often I get whopping doses of healthy vitamin D. So instead of engaging the thought, I hate losing... I've switched to engaging a healthy thought, a healthier truth, and it's, I love competitive pickleball. I love my friends. I thank God for the opportunities and flexible work schedule, allowing me to play often. You see what's happening here? I, I'm opening my heart to growth and to development, even when times are really, really, really hard, or when I'm faced with some sort of thing that needs to be worked out of my own personality, some kink that's there where I lack the emotional agility, those tools to behave in a mature fashion. God's working those kinks out and I want to embrace that. I want to invite that in. So whether I need to focus on God when I get desperate desperate news and horrible scenario that I may be in, or whether I need to become more like Christ in my my attitudes every day. I want to raise my hand. Choose me, Lord. I'm ready. I want to undergo this because I want to come out on the other side more 
like you. Even when God is teaching you these things, he's maturing you, he's growing you into his likeness. And it can be really hard and agonizing, but thank him for something. This kind of gratitude goes a long way in lifting your spirits, praising his name, adoring God for who he is, and then giving thanks. All of that kind of wrapped up in one is a humongous attitude shift, a mindset shift, and you do it one thought at a time. You make one thought point to God today. You make one thought give God thanks today. You make one thought praise his name today. What did David do when he was faced with trial and hardship? Well, you know the story of Goliath. He faced a gargantuan mountain. What did he say What did he say that day as a young shepherd boy when he came into the camp, the the Hebrew camp against the Philistine camp, this army of reputation, this army the Hebrew soldiers were afraid to face off with? And what did David say, this boy who comes and enters the camp? David said in 1 Samuel 17, in the story of David and Goliath, he said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you all of you into our hands. David came in the name of the Lord Almighty. And so with thanksgiving and praise, we can praise and adore the very name of God. So do that today and see what mountains will move in your life. Thank you once again for tuning in. God bless you. And that's a wrap, Brain Changer. And until next time, Dios primero y que Dios te bendiga. Ciao.